GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. This is our podcast. Still haven't really decided what we're going to name it. Doesn't matter. We are recording this where I am on the 14th of October. We have on the, the crew, we have Philip Collins, Devin Becker, myself, Nico Vreke, and then we have a very, very special guest, Meta Gultekin, also known as DeFi Vader on the interwebs. Welcome, Meta. Thanks, Nico. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Last time you were on, we were sitting next to each other on a bed in an, in a hotel room in New York. It was <laughs> different times, you know? Sun was shining, bear market wasn't too long, but I, I still have fond memories of that. It was, uh, <laughs> was fun. Good. Why is that so funny, Devin? Come on. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> what are we talking about today? We first are going to talk about Super Bowl ad for Gabe Layden's Digi Daigaku. We are going to talk about AR. The Unreal Air, Unreal Air AR glasses. Devin's gonna shield them. Um, obviously, when they came out, he bought them, and now he's walking around like a um, a super nerd wearing AR glasses. We're gonna talk about token vesting problem. If we have some time, we are also gonna talk about in-app purchases um, and direct purchases in Web3 games, and in general monetization of uh, Web3-based games. All right, let's dive in. So what's happening with uh, our friend Gabe? If I feel like we're giving him too much airtime here, but uh, it, it, he just warrants it, you know? He, he, well, he deserves the, it with all of the, the stuff he does. This is the Super Bowl of Web3 after all, right here. So, you know, That's true. makes sense. He just That's true. He, he better start paying us 6.5 yeah. million to, to have us talk about him. <laughs> or just give yeah. us one of the NFTs. <laughs> yeah, that's the same thing uh, almost. Okay, so what's happening, Devin? Can you, um, can you summarize? Yeah, I mean, so so he's notorious for doing like game ads during Super Bowl, like for for Game of War stuff like that back in his Machine Zone days. And like, I mean, in general, he's a notorious marketer. Like, notorious you could take as good or bad, but like, he, he or infamous or whatever you want to go with. But uh, you know, he's a very strong marketer, put it that way, and uh, putting stuff out there a lot, and you know, getting people to talk about him in general, as we are doing. Um, and it's it's kind of funny because it's like you you kind of think oh maybe Super Bowl ads are kind of outdated or whatever but he decided you know what like it's time for Web three to hit hard w with someone other than Matt Damon shilling this stuff and uh, and he's just going all in with a Super Bowl ad uh, I mean supposedly teasing a lot of stuff that's going to be like different or unique about it or engaging it in some way and so I mean as usual he's not giving us any details on anything uh, and stringing us along so I guess we'll probably have to wait till the Super Bowl itself to find out. Um, but I do imagine it will be interesting. Like, I mean, it might be worth talking about when it happens, if it does something new. Uh, so I'll give him that, you know, he's trying, it's a little bit old, old media, new media kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. Are we going to have to talk about him again? God damn it. Um, to some context setting. So yesterday I was at a, an event, a, a gaming event here in Belgium. Um, and I was on a panel discussing NFTs in games. It was a battle, right? I had a, I had an opponent, a panelist I was against. And I asked the audience two questions. First, I asked who here owns an NFT? Um, and about a third of the room raised their hands. And then I asked who here will never own an NFT? And about half of the room raised their hands. And so I think that the ads that we had at the Super Bowl are probably not helping, right? I think these people are sick of, you know, everything crypto because I think the, the narrative around it is too much, you know, go to the moon and make money. And it feels to me like putting Super Bowl ads is almost like for the industry, like for awareness, it helps. But for like positive awareness, I guess, um, like I don't think it's convincing anyone. Uh, might be wrong. What, what do you guys think? What do you think, I Phil? Mean, 
Yeah, I mean, last last Super Bowl, I remember Coinbase did their famous QR code ad um, mm-hmm. where you could, I think, scan it and you got a certain amount of free Bitcoin, as I want to say. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Maybe it'll be the same thing where he's trying to do the whole onboarding QR code or, you know, easy trial of NFTs, even if you hate them. I feel like every time I hear about new things with with Limit Break, I'm trying to I'm trying to think back to what it must have been like when they were raising uh, to raise 200 million. And I get more and more convinced that the narrative must have been if all these games in Web3 calling themselves AAA, right? Because AAA is a stamp of quality, you know, high fidelity graphics are becoming more accessible. So you can kind of call yourself AAA in a, in a, um, a little bit of a deceiving way. And I think he must have gone out and said, yeah, you have all these people creating these games that look AAA and they're calling them AAA, but nobody's doing AAA. So let's just go do it in the biggest way possible by spending all this 200 million on, on marketing. And, you know, that's not uncommon for AAA to have marketing budgets of that size, but I swear, like, that's what I think of every time I hear this company is just like pumping money fast. Like, I don't think that 200 million is going to last more than 12 to 24 months at best Mm. and, you know, maybe less, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to see how they approach it. If it is more of an awareness campaign, or if it is truly a, an onboarding case for for Web three gamers. Mm-hmm. Because for me, if you spend, let's say maybe not two hundred million, but let's say hundred million on marketing, for me that is only well spent if there are very easy on ramp solutions, right? You cannot spend that if people still have to make wallets, or you're just throwing money down the drain. In my opinion, um, and so. Yeah, I'm, I'm just very curious um, how he sees that. Or maybe there's a, a like a fully free-to-play version of the game that anyone can start playing um, with this, you know, next step. We already discussed this. Um, yeah. yeah, anyway. And I mean, I mean, part of it too is who knows what they've built in the background, right? Maybe they've yeah. built their own infrastructure already and that's what they've been hiding this whole time. And again, they were funded by, by smart investors. So there was cu- clearly something here, whether it was a AAA narrative of no one else is doing this or... We actually have these tools we've been building for the last couple of years. There's something here. Um, we kind of don't know. It's a little bit of speculation, but maybe this will be a one of the first big unveilings of what they actually have done versus just what they're kind of promising in, in the social sphere. I mean, I think it was clear yes. from his response to the whole Apple 30% NFTs thing that he's likely to put something out on mobile and then he's happy to see like wallet stuff get onboarded there. Like his comment of like, I'm happy to give Apple 30% of zero like that whole thing, like <clears throat> was kind of implying that he's planning to be on mobile um, as part of it. Right. Cause all we know right now is like, there's, there's NFTs and smart contracts. And like outside of that, you don't really know what the platform is. You don't really know what the quote unquote game is. You don't know any of that stuff. Right. Like I, I'm sure that's entirely intentional, but like that, uh, I, I think he's planning on doing like the kind of stuff where you just have people play the mobile game and like web three stuff happens later as part of it to some extent and things like that. Like, I mean, I don't know, it's speculation, but I, I seriously doubt he's going to require people in the long run to like go through a whole bunch of hoops just to start playing. Like I doubt he's, I mean, I mean, if he was the pioneer of free to play stuff, like that was the ultimate onboarding at that time, right? Like people could just download it and play. Like, I don't think he's any stranger mm-hmm. to getting people on board frictionlessly as much as possible. Um, the other thing that has made me think of though, uh, like funny parallel is, uh, you know, when we were talking about like people getting sick of like the hearing about NFTs and all that stuff, it reminds me of the dot-com era when people were getting sick of hearing about the internet. And there was a lot of people like, I'm not going to use the internet, like being ludites about everything and all that stuff. And then it, it just makes me think of the pets.com Super Bowl ad that was like considered, that was like the pinnacle 
of the like the web th- or the 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 dot com stuff. Like that's what mm-hmm. people point to is the is the pets dot com Super Bowl ad. And so maybe this is the pets dot com Super Bowl ad for Web three. Maybe this is like right before everything just falls off completely. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it is kind of similar to that idea of like people like wanting to reject it or being like, no, that's not for me. Like I'll never do that. I'll never have an NFT. And it's like, you probably won't even know when you do, uh, you know, a year or two yeah. from now. Like, let's be real. Like, yeah. you probably won't like willingly go out and shill an NFT, but you probably will have an NFT and not realize it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mitha, what are your thoughts here? Yeah. Um, you know, the industry needs more DGENs, in my opinion. So far, the Digitaiku NFTs and all other NFTs, gaming NFTs, have been uh, traded among, I think, a specific group of people. And, um, you know, like, if you think about the Web3 gaming audience on a very high level, you have, like, the, the free players, just like in free-to-play. You have the whales. Um, and with free players, free players, you can also add, like, maybe the farmers. And you have this third audience, which I call, like, the degens. Um, who might spend as much as the whales, but their incentive is to make money. But they're not very rational. They're not, you know, they're not very scientific. They wouldn't mind like gambling or betting a good amount of capital um, and make a return, a good return or lose money. You know, they they like that excitement. Um, And when you think about it, like as a game or as a developer, your LTV from this type of user is actually maybe almost as high as a, a free-to-play whale. Um, so if you are spending a lot of money on a Super Bowl ad and you're able to get, I don't know, um, some 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 amount of those people additionally into the you know NFT gaming industry, um, that is not a bad bad uh, ad spend, and of course this is more like uh, so. I, I listened to Gabe's uh, spaces yesterday, and he mentioned, you know, he said um, we probably could have spent the same money on on like Facebook or a digital platform, but you can't like shape or influence culture with with digital spending. You know, when you when you put an ad on Super Bowl, it is it is being talked like throughout the year, etc. Um, so I think it's good for our overall industry because um, probably there will be new uh, DGENs or Web3 gamers joining the industry and there will be spillover to, you know, other collections, etc. Uh, we will see, you know, I wish them good luck. By the way, I'm, I'm just looking at the OpenSea page for the Digidaigaku and over the past two days there have been, I think, six sales where... You know, if you had asked me before, I would have expected way more because of all the the hype surrounding the, the whole Super Bowl announcement. So just pretty curious hmm. that it's like you think that there'd be big movements, but it's not the case. What's um, what's the floor at? Thirteen points uh sixty nine. Nice. Yeah, that's it. Good. All right. Um we'll probably touch a bit more upon not necessarily Super Bowl ads, but IAP and that monetization stuff later. But first allow Devin to shill his new um his new toy. Hey man, well, now, that, now that we're broadening out the future of gaming stuff, right? Like yeah, it's, time, yeah. it's time to bring out everything that's not Web3 as well. That will eventually mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. Web3, right? So, uh, so yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and you know, if I didn't feel like I'd be distracted, I'd just be wearing these during like the actual podcast here. But but yeah, I got to show the Unreal Airs just because like it, it could have been a huge disappointment 
uh, when these came out, uh, especially at the price point they were at. These were like uh, $379 off of Amazon. Um, and that's the primary place they came out. Like, it, it's, it's funny, they didn't really hit retail. Like, so a lot of people aren't even aware of them yet, which surprises me. Like, the marketing's just not there. But these are AR glasses. So you can see, like, uh, these, like, little tilted lenses sort of in here as well that, mm -hmm. like, allow for the, the other thing. And they're, like, full-on, like, augmented reality lenses in the sense of, like, you can see through the image, but, like, full, full quality image, um, you can adjust the brightness and stuff. But it's interesting because it, like, powers off your phone or, like, you can play off your Steam Deck. If you want to go on the gaming angle, like they, they work really well off the Steam Deck. Like there's some tweaks that like need to come out and uh, future updates for the frame rate. But it's like it it full on is like a giant screen for your Steam Deck, which is an amazing way what? to like portably play. Um, so you can so. sit or you can lie in bed. But on That's your freaking, sitting in bed uh, and lying in bed playing on that. Yeah, absolutely. So you can like lie on your back and you just like hold your Steam Deck and you're just just gaming. Yeah, and I and I can say that from actually having done that quite a bit recently. <laughs> of course, uh, absolutely. <laughs> That's a dream, man. Doing that. Yeah, no, this Freaking, is true. And it's like sit uprights. Yeah, sitting upright, or like I have the TV, and then I can kind of see through occasionally to see the TV. But I'm like watching, like I'm looking at the game. But then, like when the game's got like a loading screen, I'm look looking through the TV. But I, I think they're really cool because they they took an interesting approach to kind of bridging this gap, right? Because we're always like augmented reality is years off, like da 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 da. Like technology is going to be really hard. So instead of being like you know, let's just try and force out a really low-end crap consumer thing. They strip stuff out. So, like, we think of augmented reality based around a lot of the the um, camera, computer vision stuff. And so they actually stripped that stuff out. They said, no, no camera. Like, we're just going to focus on the display part, right? And I thought hmm. that was a really interesting approach to say, we're going to get halfway there, but we're going to do halfway really well and be good with that for now. And then we can step forward from here instead of being like, oh, augmented reality is five years off, 10 years off. And then not really doing anything. So I love to see like these kind of baby steps that are like usable baby steps where they like focus on the part that works well. And so the screen quality is really nice. Like, I mean, it looks like you're looking at a really nice, crisp, high quality screen uh, just coming off the Steam Deck or coming off of um, your phone. Or I, I tried using it as a laptop second monitor when I was like sitting in bed because your keyboard height is like the, the right height for your hands on your lap. But the screen is a terrible height for your neck. Right. So like, would you wear the glasses? Then you could just look forward and then have the, have your screen. So it's, it's been very interesting. Like I, as you probably know from Phil's jabs, uh, I tend to like to push the limits on, on living in the, uh, the virtual world here. And, and I've, I've walked around reading books while like shopping and walking and like, well, I'm just like, uh, and I know that sounds super nerdy, but I'm like trying to see what you can can't do. Right. Like to push the limits. And it's been really interesting. Like in terms of like what happens when we finally have like, a heads up display. Like I've tried to experiment with like different kinds of HUD ideas or things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously there's a ways from being like great, but it's very usable now. And like once computer vision stuff gets there and like we can have the, the camera built in, like gyroscopes built in, all that kind of stuff. Like if you watch the MetaConnect stuff this week, you can see Zuckerberg teasing a lot of that stuff with the mixed reality stuff. And so like, again, we are, we are ways off from like making this like the full part of gaming. But the idea of like having the display now is here and it works well. And it was like 379 is actually a pretty reasonable price point for a really nice high quality display. Uh, and so I would say like if, if it's something that's interesting to people out there, like it's worth trying because uh, I don't know of anything that's like comparable right now and it like just came out. So, Would you consider these the Oculus, maybe the Quest 2 of AR where it's a device that's if anyone puts it on, they're like blown away and they're like, holy crap, this is amazing. But then it 
kind of seems like, you know, it doesn't really take off because there's still this, it's not a 10X, it's only a 3X where it's, yeah, it's just yeah. not worth having this on your face. It's for early enthusiasts. I'd say it's closer to like the, yeah. um, the Samsung Gear or the, uh, the Quest 1 or something like that, where it's like okay. for early adopters, but it's like proven, like it's working technology. And that's what impressed me yeah. is like we, you know, we have in sci-fi those augmented reality HUDs and like, you know, it seems like a fictional thing. It's like, you know, that moment when you first have an iPad and you're like watching Star Trek and you're like, I have that thing. Like, it feels like that, right? Like the moment where you're like, mm -hmm. I have an augmented reality mm -hmm. head now. Like the yeah. UX could use work. The, you know, like lots, lots of room for improvement. But I, but I am now really looking forward to like what happens when we can actually have this for gameplay in a way that's not like holding up your phone, like these trivial, like, uh, you know, Apple like to show off their kind of cheesy stuff or like literally you could hook this then up to Pokemon Go and play in a proper semi-augmented reality mm -hmm. sense. And the camera still works on the phone. So like, I like to joke, I can use my phone now to look behind me through the, the thing like old school spy glasses kind of things. Uh, just, you know, weird use cases like that. But yeah. like we can use the computer's camera, I mean, the phone's camera potentially for this kind of stuff. And so I think um, it does show some future potential. It's just like the game stuff needs to get it. And then it made me realize like we really do need the hand tracking stuff because like um, when you go to, I've tried lots of different like displays like this to try and play like mobile games on like an external display. And of course you realize a touchscreen control doesn't work very well when you can't look down at your, mm. your thing, right? Like, it just doesn't work well. Uh, but what does work actually pretty well with this is controller-based gaming. Uh, unfortunately, you can't really use, like, the Razer Kishi kind of thing because, like, the pass-through doesn't work. But an hmm. Xbox controller with the xCloud stuff, I tried out, works really well for, like, playing xCloud games on a full-on virtual screen. Like, that feels very futuristic. Like, I'm playing off the cloud on an augmented reality screen with a controller using my phone as a computer for this. Like it feels, that feels pretty futuristic for gaming right there. I would say like, that's a cool now, but futuristic use case. It's going to get even better when BCI makes your brain the controller. Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. No, what but it, I, I think it is encouraging to see some initial versions of hardware coming out for AR. I, I, we, we've seen a lot of really cool AR use cases uh, over the last six, 12 months. Um, but I really struggle to get excited about a lot of, of AR projects because of the the hard, the lack of hardware in terms of making it a seamless experience. I always put myself in the shoes of a consumer and think, am I gonna wanna walk around with my phone like in front of my face in, in, in public where you know you have your arm out and you're kind of like exploring the world secondhand. <laughs> um, and, I, and I've always struggled to see that gaining real meaningful adoption. And so combining some of the really cool game ideas or even, you know, I guess, you know, kind of, second screen um, real life applications, even if it's like brand experiences um, with genuine hardware that makes it a more seamless experience and honestly more natural as counterintuitive as that may sound for what AR is. Um, that's, that's promising to see third party hardware that isn't face, uh, isn't meta or, or Apple um, to start. So it's, it's a, it's a good, good sign. What are some non-skeuomorphic game ideas you can imagine now um and the reason i'm asking because i can't come up with one so I'm, I'm just curious to have your take Devin, do you have something in mind or yeah i mean it's, it's hard right because they obviously the immediate stuff is like tabletop gaming kind of ideas almost where you mm. have like the miniature things and you can kind of interact and like hand interaction is obviously going to be the natural way to do a lot of the stuff and then like we do have glasses right now that use voice interaction decently like you can buy those alexa glasses or all these other ones that have the voice stuff there's microphone and speakers built into these as well. I didn't mention that. Like there's just speakers like that go right here. I found it was mm -hmm. like, if it was really loud too, all you got to do is like this 
And then it's like much louder because you just cupped your ear over it. Like just weird <laughs> things like that, right? Because I was like walking and traffic was loud. And I'm like mm-hmm. watching YouTube videos. I was walking and I'm just like, oh, cool. <laughs> I can hear it better. Like this is like, these are real use cases, you know, because I'm like actually doing these things. But they, uh, the actual interaction is always going to be a little tricky because you don't want to have to use another controller, right? You want to be able to use your hands naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, though, I do it. Like I, I tried this thing out a little bit, which is a keyboard and trackpad that's Bluetooth. Very small. Like I was jokingly wanting to put it like, you know, like this kind of thing. Uh, and it works pretty well. Like I was literally sitting in like a restaurant, like a fast food restaurant, like sitting there working, but it looked like I was staring off into space when I'm like sitting there using like the, the keyboard and mouse. But it's, I feel like hands are going to be the only way that works naturally because you, you don't want to look like you're weird, like holding a controller. And like, like if I'm holding an Xbox controller, just standing in the middle of physical space, like it's going to be weird. Like, and, and I feel like there's this, there's always this weird Bluetooth syndrome that I think of with these device interactions in public. Where, um, you know, when you're with Bluetooth, it's like you're talking to no one, right? And it's really confusing for people. And Siri did that whole thing no favors when people like had like, you know, AirPods or something and they're just talking out into space with Mm -hmm. AirPods instead of Bluetooth headsets. So I feel like there is always going to be this weird, even if we're doing hand gestures, it's still going to be weird because like, let's imagine we map stuff to, uh, to things in physical space. If all of a sudden I'm running around like punching at the air and there's like people around like trying to dodge me or something, like, you know how bad it is like if you're trying to play, uh, VR in a room full of people, right? Like you've already got to watch out and you can't see very well. AR isn't necessarily going to improve that much. So I think we're going to have like this, I don't know so much games initially as like apps are like more of the initial use case, like heads up display kind of stuff. Or like I used it for uh, GPS navigation while I was driving, like just up in the corner, I could see Google Maps as I'm driving without having to look down on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like this kind of heads up display stuff, uh, but that starts to lead, interestingly, I think, into games, right? Because we think of, like, where do heads-up displays generally come from in terms of our way we think about them is from, like, first-person shooters and games. Obviously, we're not going to walk around, like, going like this to people in this day and age, right? Because that's going to that's gonna get some bad kind of looks. Uh, but I think we will still, like, see some interesting ways to, to have, like, HUDs that go from apps towards games um, over time in a way that's non, like, non-view blocking. But that's part of the problem, too, is like just because it's augmented reality doesn't mean you just shove everything right in front of your your face. Uh, stuff mm-hmm. needs to kind of be to the sides and, and things like that. So it, yeah. it's going to be app driven first, I guess, is my point. Yeah, Mete, I feel like every time we talk, we're talking about crypto. So I'd actually love to get your take on on AR, <laughs> uh, something something off chain. Um, what, what's your kind of view? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I've been very excited about AR. I always thought that it would replace smartphones. So that, you know, we would be able to just like click something, like uh, see an app, I don't know, Google Maps, text messages, watching something. Um, but it hasn't been there yet. Like I, I, I had huge expectations um, for, for five, ten years now. And yeah, um, I'm, I'm just still hopeful, but I think it's going to take a while. And definitely for gaming, it's going to take a longer, but even for the, 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 the glasses to replace a smartphone, it's going to probably take a while. Yeah. Luckily, these were smart and they were powered off of your device instead of your uh, instead of having their own power supply, which is one of those things that like it's that people use it as a detractor in the reviews. So I was a little concerned, but it actually turned out to be kind of a pro, like because first off, obviously, the glasses are lighter, right, because they don't have to have a battery and all that stuff. Um, But I found it actually not having to charge a separate device was actually a real plus. Like you realize the amount of devices you have in your environment that you constantly have to keep charged. I've got to keep my tablet charged and my phone charged. And all these other things charged all the time. And like one device that I could just plug into something and use that thing's power uh, actually works out pretty nice. And so 
maybe like I'm a big fan of the idea of offloading more stuff onto the phone uh, and using the phone as like our personal, like the, you remember the idea of PANS, personal area networks, the idea that like your, your body has like this network going across like a mini LAN where you've got your phone is maybe the computing hub and that has the communication out to 5G and everything else. And then in like, You've got Bluetooth connection to your earpieces and your glasses and your smart jewelry or whatever. But that idea of like the personal area network then like leads to this idea that maybe the glasses don't have to like do everything, right? You offload some of the computing, you offload the, you know, like the camera could be a smaller thing, but then like the, the vision processing, like look at like the Google Pixel cameras that like have all this AI camera processing. I think maybe we can get there sooner than, than later if we start offloading more stuff to the, the phone. The way that initial VR did that with like Google Cardboard and Samsung Gear, like started kind of trying to offload that stuff since we didn't have like the Quest kind of stuff yet where you could really fit a lot of good stuff in an individual device. And like even the Steam Deck, right, is like a pretty cool, like portable than PC that we're offloading a lot of the processing to. And now we've got all the cloud stuff too. Like I was giving the example of the xCloud, you know, maybe we can, obviously latency is an issue, right? Like that's a, that's a big concern. But maybe if we start offloading more of these things, from away from the glasses. Yeah, maybe we're not replacing the cell phone right away, but then eventually like the cell phone gets small enough that that goes into the glasses. Like we approach it the other way around, like put everything in the cell phone and then eventually we swap that around, right? I like how Devin, you know, earlier you were talking about, yeah, it might get weird when you're like punching the air, right? While you're walking down the street. And in the same sentence, you basically said that you were watching a YouTube video while, while walking around. <laughs> And you were saying like, oh, it's it's kind of dangerous when you play VR in a room full of people. And I'm like, when would you ever play VR in a room full of people? Um, anyway, good. No, I think uh, it's exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, let's see where this goes. It feels like a few years out, but um, I'm glad there's there's some advancements. And I uh, look forward to uh, next time having Devin on where he's like wearing his glasses, reading off a script um, when he's shilling something else, you know, some new technology. Um, Are you watching Gabe's good. ad? Yeah, exactly. It's just like watching the Super Bowl while we're talking. Um, all right. Next up, Vader, you started this or before we started, you said you want to talk about the token vesting problem. So uh, let's do some good old tokenomics. That's your, your comfort <laughs> zone. Um, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So the currently the existing um, incentive alignments within the token vesting schedules are basically flawed. And uh, the, the reasoning for that is that, you know, the crypto projects that are getting being funded are early stage startups and they're raising capital to build a product, ship a product for a business to, you know, uh, eat first, like get some traction, hit a product market fit and then scale that business um, profitably or have a have a um, good, good, you know, plan to become profitable from a unit economic standpoint and then become mature and, you know, then become like a traditional uh, publicly traded business. Um, but the problem is in crypto, um, the, the, the companies go to public pretty early on and token vesting schedules are for investors and for founders are relatively shorter compared to the traditional, um, you know, um, Web2 companies that before there is even like a product market fit or traction or even before the product is shipped um the tokens end up being the, the investor and founder tokens end up being uh unlocked invested and um 
basically number one effect is that the founders and investors lose the motivation and incentive to build stuff, to ship stuff. Investors, you know, lose the motivation to support the company. And um, at the same time, um, you know, in, in crypto, we have this constant emission of tokens to the circulating supply from the treasury to the circulating supply. This can be either rewarding the community, rewarding specific actions, and again, giving the unlock tokens to the investors and team. Um, if you have the, the token emission growth faster or, or higher than uh, the demand for the token, then naturally the token prices are going to go down. And as you have like investors and, and you know, the team unlocking and cashing out their tokens, uh, it just puts further sell pressure on the token price in a, in a period where, you know, the platform, the protocol is trying to bootstrap growth. Um, it, it, it's just like having a bad effect. So, right, this is like a pretty, pretty bad um, incentive alignment, in my opinion. And it basically um, converts the founders to focus more on marketing and experience, you know, marketing and idea rather than focusing on shipping a product. And then it incentivizes like any founder to almost become like a snake oil salesman and like sell a dream, sell experience, rather than actually like building the team and, and shipping the product. And I think it's a very bad incentive alignment. And so there are a couple of ways to, you know, solve this, uh, which I've, I've, I've written like a piece about this, um, focused on like having a longer token investing schedule, could be based on a milestone, um, and 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 maybe not even giving tokens at all to um, founders and, and investors, keeping it all in the equity entity level, and um, releasing them only when there's like a liquidation event, um, such as you know the company being acquired or the 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 company going public. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of companies learn this the hard way where a lot of Web3 games that initially came out and raised tokens are now trying to flip the script and maybe go back towards an equity model. There's a, a lot of reasons for that. One is the fact that token supplies with a with a finite supply um, are anti-dilutive and you know, that might sound like a good thing on the surface, but you know, if you have to go out and raise three 10 to 15% rounds, 30 to 45% of your company there is, is gone into the hands of investors. Um, and theoretically they're supposed to be sharing that supply with the players. And so that, that causes problems for team incentive alignment, um, and just the general ecosystem issue as well. And so I think we're seeing a, a lot of things with tokens and, and incentive alignment create some problems and we're coming out of V1 of this and the solutions are still being worked out. But, um, I think that's another trend that, that I've been seeing more and more as these teams are going through a really hard market environment where. You know, they're not able to self-fund and self-supply the, the capital they need like they might have expected after their first $5 million seed round. And it's starting to cause some some real real issues mixing the the investors, the founders, and the, the players all in one place when the game's not going to be out for another 12, 24, 36 months. It feels to me like the reason we got here is because the vesting schedules are based upon use cases for like DeFi protocols, where the development cycle is way shorter than for a game. And so as the gaming industry started looking at, you know, Web3 
to use and like build the infrastructure and the value accrual mechanisms around. Uh, they were like, hey, how is Uniswap doing this? Or how is, you know, some of the other DeFi protocols doing this? And they're like, oh, like a one-year vesting schedule and then like, a, you know, a cliff and then every month there's a non-lock, whatever. Um, but the the development cycles are just like fundamentally different and the incentive alignments are also different, right? So, because in the end, uh, uh, it's... A game is like so fundamentally different from a DeFi protocol, but it's being treated too much the same. And I think this is the the reason for many of the problems we have in the industry today. One of them being like the uh, the the wrong incentive schemes and schedules and designs. And so, but my frustration, or I guess at the same time, hope is that for me, you know, because we now have the blockchain where we can actually program value, we can design theoretically the perfect incentive mechanism for everyone right that is exactly what the blockchain allows us to do equity is in a way not perfectly flexible when it comes to um like designing in incentive mechanisms for all stakeholders because you can't give equity to your players right with tokens you can do that and so now we have these tools at our hands um but we're still not using them in uh, to their full potential um so yeah i've i've been in favor of having longer vesting schedules for teams and investors uh but then i talked to my cfo and he's like no don't do this man um so there's 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 some um contrary uh incentives there right and if all the teams keep sticking to these short schedules they're all forced to focus on marketing instead of actually building the product um but yeah so i think the technology works so we we, we can design these better uh but because the market has still been reacting positively to marketing it's it's not been worth like it hasn't been worth it to actually do it right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Even. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, even if they like, do you think technology would? Um, so I'm just thinking a scenario where like there's like a peer to peer legal agreement where you know someone agrees to sell the tokens at a future date to to a private party. So in that case, like. That would probably, you know, um, be be a stronger case than the the technology, right? Because when you go to court, like the the judge probably won't listen the the smart contracts. Um, I don't know what do you guys think about that. Yeah, could you describe it better? Because I'm not sure I'm following. Sure. Um, so, like, I'm I'm thinking about an example. It's like you can't sell let's say your tokens are locked for five years you can't you can't unlock any token over the next five years um but at the same time nico you make a you know um a deal with devon peer-to-peer deal with devon to sell devon maybe based on year three's price right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. almost like so it's a future like, it's contract like a, it's like a put or a call like an option yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, I think um, that that we're gonna have that, right? That's like you cannot avoid that. Um, but I do believe that having like on-chain lockups for longer periods of times, and perhaps programmatically have lockups decide like be decided on like the popularity of the game. Like it'd be great if you can have lockups which are dependent on how many people actually play the game. Or stuff like that, right? Like, oh, for the first 1 million players that start playing this game, um, we unlock 10%. And then, you know, as like for every million, there's a bit more, something like that. Um, all of these things are possible. 
just haven't seen them implemented yet. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm I think that's that's a, a place where we're going. I yeah, it is pretty interesting to yeah. to think about the the price implications of that. Where odds are, if you're selling a futures contract like that, somebody's going to be wanting to get it at a discount. Um, and so, theoretically, an off-chain activity is happening where the price that is the today's kind of transfer value is maybe twenty or thirty percent lower than the current market price. But the on-chain reality doesn't reflect that. Um, so, you know, I know on-chain transparency is a big thing, but it is kind of crazy how how many off-chain activities could be happening um, and impacting the on-chain activities at a future date. Yep. Yep. Devin? Yeah, I think the big problem with a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily going to be the technology, which like, as you pointed out, like there's a lot of stuff we could do with the technology. It's the legal stuff, right? The the jur like the the stuff that's regulatory issues, things like that. Because as we start to emulate existing financial models out there, that's when it starts to invite the SEC or whoever else to get involved and mm. start regulating things. And obviously that's gonna happen regardless, right? Like because no matter how which way we go with this, if lots of money's involved, regulation follows. Like that's just kind of inevitable because good things and bad things happen from lots of money, right? Like where people are bad actors and then, you know, government needs to supposedly step in and protect people and then there's like you know the good actors who are like you're hampering innovation right and you have that whole back and forth issue of trying to make it so that the technology can grow with regulation and that never really happens right the technology goes ahead and regulation tries to catch up and we're we're kind of in that place right now where it's constantly trying to catch up to this and in the meantime rug pulls are happening left and right people are making bad financial decisions they're taking like early pre-sales of stuff and investing it in NFTs. And then all of a sudden, like being like, oh, well, the game's not going to happen now because I spent all our money and like just all kinds of crazy stuff happening that kind of invites regulation to happen because people are doing crazy stuff with crazy amounts of money. And like, I think we should spend some of this time like trying to come up with these innovations and figuring out like, okay, well, assuming regulation wasn't a problem, like what would be the ideal things like you're talking about? And then try and push those through as part of the regulatory process. So those kind of get cemented in a little bit instead of it being like a uh, an enforcement type thing where they're coming in, trying to set the regulation by enforcing stuff. You kind of come in and say like, here's the good actor way to do it. We're going to try and get everyone to go alongside that and we're going to get regulation to go along with it. And I feel like, they, you know, companies were trying to do that early on, you know, Coinbase and all these other places were trying to play ball with governments and get them to like, cool, let's work together to kind of build this regulatory environment. And clearly that's not necessarily happening because you got like the SEC like pulling a, a secret gun on on Coinbase half the time. Being like, ha ha, I thought I was your friend. Uh, you know, stuff like that happening where it's not really working out because everyone's got different incentives. As I mean, I guess to, to your point of incentives being misaligned. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's clear the current model of like, hey, let's give people this pseudo equity, but it won't really work like equity and in, in all the worst ways. And give them like the ability to cash that out in a year is just, is not sustainable. It's not going to work. Everything's going to have to change from here. Like you get the kind of thing where people still continue to copy the Axie model for a little while, right? Like that sort of echo that you get, like the delayed echo. And so I think we'll get maybe a delayed echo of this sort of thing for maybe like another six months to a year at most. But hopefully in the meantime, like someone's trying to build the next big hit that's like, okay, I've got a smarter model. But I, like I like I said, I think the barrier to that is going to be regulation because you're going to go like, I've got the smarter model and then you're going to come out with it. And then like the SEC or whoever is relevant to your particular, uh, you know, government is going to come in and be like, you thought that was a good idea. Now, now we're going to correct that. And that's what worries me the most is the innovation 
in, in monetization and in investment and stuff like that. But I'd say really, the, you want to know what the, the best solution is right now? Build a goddamn business and don't just borrow millions of dollars to build something that you might, might or might not be able to build. Like build something and make some money off of it and then ask for VC money when you want to grow it. Not when you just want to build Easy. it in the first place and you haven't tried, right? Peanuts. Yeah. Right, just, right. Just build but, a business. Just make some money, and then right. and then it's going to be easy to raise some more money. But that's the, that's um, the sounder model, bro. Would you agree? Like that's the that's the sounder way to do things if you can manage it. If you could manage it, I think that yeah. that last part is the most important thing. What right. scares me about what you're saying, Devin, is that a lot of the hopes I have is, oh, you know, through technology we will you know solve this problem and that will move the whole industry forward. But what you're saying is, we will at the same time also need regulators to you know figure some shit out to help us regulate these some of these things to actually start moving forward and from that point on we're actually dependent on regulators doing shit right which it's a three-legged as race, we know at the end of the day sorry? unfortunately it's a three-legged race like we, we would love to just continue to to just race towards the finish line and i think you know a lot of people will i'm i'm a tech on the technology side of things not the regulatory side of things i'm absolutely all for what you're saying like i'm like let's just solve all these problems with technology that's what Bitcoin's all about. We'll solve trust with math. We'll solve all the human problems with tech. As you can tell from a lot of things I've said, I, that's I'm more on that side of things. But I do see the, like the writing on the wall, at least in the U.S. Like I can't speak for the rest of the world, but in the U.S. it's like the hammer's like halfway in the air, like coming down on us right now. It's not a uh, like an if; it's more of a win. And so it's like mm -hmm. I I don't necessarily suggest playing ball because they they tend to play dirty too. But I, I, I think we need to keep an eye on that, that idea that, well, okay, if we do anything, we need to be prepared for that moment when technology suddenly uh, hits a big, big fat speed bump because of that. Yeah. So Vader, what is, um, what is your learning and, and what is your suggestion to teams setting up their company now and thinking about investing schedules and, and incentive design? Yeah, first of all, the token launch, in my opinion, should be as late as possible. If there isn't a fundraising problem, of course, not everyone has that luxury. Um, yeah, so that's number one, because um, typically the tokens are used when the tokens are distributed to the community. It's basically used to bootstrap, you know, the platform, the demand. And um, so you're basically giving out your, like, like Devin said, the pseudo equity to the early power users early on with the hope that that token will have some price driven by the future success of the platform. And, you know, you have a limited amount of time there just because as you put out the token to the circulating supply, people are gonna start selling it. And by 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 some point, if there isn't like, you know, organic underlying demand for the business fundamentals, the token price is just gonna fall down as we have more and more tokens um, being added to the circulating supply. So that's, that's advice number one. Advice number two would be, um, you know, having this like, try to have longer vesting schedules um, with investors or within the team portion of tokens. And um, I think programming it based on certain KPIs could be a good option, but I feel like that also could be abused very easily. 
Um, so I think better to have like a longer uh, resting schedule and then maybe rediscuss that, you know, in year three, year five, or when you hit a certain milestone. Um, just like, you know, when you raise capital from an early stage investor, usually you agree on some milestones. And if you um, do hit those milestones, you then um, raise further capital, etc. cetera. Um, another like one model I was thinking of is, you know, why don't we just have like this like an equity entity, the equity entity owns the, the team and uh, the investor portion of the tokens. Um, I think so the the good you know part of that is that if someone wants to acquire the business, um, they can just acquire directly the equity entity rather than having to you know negotiate with each small group of in, in, in investor. Um, but I think there there are some like regulatory legal problems there because one entity ends up controlling a, a big amount of uh, the token stake. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a solid take. Have we ever seen a public token sale where the tokens that the public bought were actually like locked up for any significant amount of time? And is that a ridiculous question to ask? Because for me, that kind of makes sense, right? If you participate in the crowdfunding, you don't expect the tokens or whatever like proof of crowdfund contribution to be able to like sell that on, right? No, I guess I guess Silence an example means... that would be like uh, the Steam Deck reservations are the closest I can think of to that, where people could buy a Steam Deck reserve, like get a Steam Deck reservation for like five bucks, and then people were reselling those reservations. Mm. That's like the closest thing I can think of to like a Kickstarter receipt essentially being resold uh, before mm -hmm. the thing is deliverable. But that's all I could think of. Yeah, I think this aligns with one of the problems I've been seeing, which is you know, you sell either NFTs or tokens before your game is out. And then um, there's essentially like, if you're good at marketing, then the price goes up significantly. And if you're bad at marketing, um, then the price goes down significantly. Or if you're unlucky, right, the price goes down. Both cases are pretty bad for your game, right? Because if you see any game that has a token that crashed in price, you already like kind of assume, or everyone at least assumes that your game failed. Although the game, like no one's ever, ever, no one's ever seen the game. So there's, they're wrong in making that assumption. Um, and so I guess, you know, I made a case, I think, you know, months ago about making NFTs that you sell before the game comes out, either like, you know, maybe allow them only to be sold after X amount of time or allow them only to be sold for the same price for which you bought it. Um, and that way you can eliminate speculation programmatically. Uh, similar things, I think, you know, should be experimented with when it comes to fungible tokens as well, right? A lockup could be one, another one could be like, oh, there's like maybe a, a bonding curve is, is one solution or maybe just a fixed price uh, where you can you can only sell for a certain amount of, uh, of money where, you know, if you want to, buy this you can buy it but just know that there's no possible way for you to actually make money by speculating today well keep in mind even with your solution like there's there's ways for technology to also work against that because like let's say yeah. i've got a system right where i'm it's similar to the steam deck example right where i i'm like selling something that's non-transferable for a period of time right like that's quote-unquote locked up people are going to come up with something that's like what what uh, what vader was saying about like you know these futures options or these other kinds of things or people could come up with a system around that that's essentially like verifies that you have a quote unquote receipt and then allows you to sell that receipt to someone else. Like 
Like yeah. the way we saw like the curve wars and all that kind of stuff, like these these receipts of receipts of receipts like being sold around. Mm -hmm. Like that 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 happens too. That that's I mean, in in theory, that's kind of a good thing about the technology is that people could do all kinds of stuff like that. But that's where I get afraid of regulation stepping in is because like, because you could do all kinds of cool, crazy stuff, like people start to like, maybe go a little too far sometimes. And then like, if it goes too far and causes too much loss, then, you know, like, you know, loss steps in essentially. But until then, like, it's like a space where people could do all kinds of crazy stuff like that. I think the Curb Wars was like an interesting like lesson in terms of like how people can build on top of things in ways that could be good or bad. Or like, you know, even though the, the vampire attack stuff and all these other ways we have to like take advantage of the transparency of the blockchain and the idea that code is law that you're talking about, like, you know, where technology is enforcing these things, technology can also then be used to work around them. So like, it's, it's very interesting. Like it's a problem to solve because you've got to deal with like the double-edged sword there essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think at least it can, like, I agree with you. I think it still can, like, minimize that activity, right? It can, like, um, be because of the additional friction, you know, now instead of, like, 100 people doing it, maybe, like, 20 is, are going to do it, right? Like, for example, in the futures contract example, um, you know, now that I think about it, because you need to mark up um, the, the difference, it might not be ideal for everyone, if that makes sense, because you need to like hedge yourself. Um, so, so like an example is, you know, EVE Online or World of Warcraft, can you sell your in-game assets in real life? Yeah, potentially you can, right? There are marketplaces, gray, gray marketplaces, but it's just, you know, a lot of like trust problems, a lot of potential, you know, friction, et cetera, that, um, not as many people are doing it, but if it was completely allowed, we would probably see um, a higher number of people doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I do, you know, here the technologist in me is is trying to make a case, right? Um, I think that there's still ways to avoid some of these, you know, futures contracts and stuff like that, where, for example, you can programmatically enforce that a player needs to have spent 100 hours inside your game before they can start even like transferring things, right? And, you know, I guess then people's response would be, but oh, then you just sell your wallet, right? Uh, and I think there we're also going to move into a world where we're going to start seeing our virtual or digital identities linked to us using ZK technology where, you know, like I can prove that I own certain assets without having to, um, to, like show what's uh, like what exact assets I have. I can prove that I'm Nico without proving or without giving away that I'm actually like me, or I can prove that I'm human without proving that I'm actually me. And so my wallet's going to be linked very strongly to who I am. And at that point, it's going to be really hard to start selling wallets. And I, I and so I think we're still moving into a future where lockups are not necessarily time-based because if they're time-based, you know, you 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 know for sure that we're going to reach that block on the blockchain, right? But you're not sure that you know um, that's me. I'll play. I'll spend 100 hours inside that game, and so you can make a future contract, futures contract for an asset that locks up at a certain block because we're going to make it there. But it's harder to start having a futures contract that depends maybe on time and on something else. 
So I think there we might see some creative solutions to uh, to avoid these off-chain transactions or even on-chain transactions that are not in, not intended in in the current uh, in, in incentivization scheme. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Ice Poker Good. trying to do this stuff around um, stopping people from cashing out so much. Like they had the whole scholar system around, like that they modified to make it so that like if you wanted to cash out, you got a lot less versus if you wanted to reinvest and like. Those kinds of programs, like when you go to a store and return something, they'll be like, "Oh, we'll give you twenty dollars of store credit, but we can only give you ten dollars in cash." Like these, are all these kinds of different ways mm. of different kinds of incentivizations too that might be financial, they might be technological, but the idea is we're like trying to find much like with staking, either both either carrot or stick methods of trying to get people to mm -hmm. do what we want them to do with these money assets, right? Like that's what all these things yeah. are. Is like, okay, well, can we find the right carrot or the right stick? that works well enough that enough people behave that the whole thing doesn't fall apart. And uh, it's fun to watch this in action, right? These people just, everyone just continuing to build in this direction, come up with different ideas, try different stuff, and then watch random DGENs tear it all down. Uh, it's, but like, that's what the, you know, conversations like this are totally for is for like trying to really think forward with that stuff. Is, in your opinion, Devin, staking assets and getting like tokens for that, is that a carrot or is that a stick? It's it's a bad idea generally. <laughs> no, it's a bad idea. I agree. I, I, think, but I think it's like, it's clearly a carrot, right? Like it's it's you're rewarding someone for doing a certain behavior. It's definitely a carrot. I know, but uh, for me, so I'll, I'll make the case that it's actually both because the thing is that the supply is inflated, and if you're not staking, everyone else that is staking is actually like keeping their relative parts of the network the same, and you're actually just losing out because you're not staking. So I, I would say I the other my, way around, my, though. Like, if you stake, like, so let's say I stake, yeah. um, my and, point I, and is, I get a little bit it's more. It's obviously a carrot. No, no, Devin, Devin, right. it's obviously a but carrot. I'm saying, my, like, but the, my the point value, is the that... The token can go down while it's staked, and, like, you go to pull it out, and you've actually lost money letting it sit in the account. So keep that in mind as well. Yeah. Good. All right. Um, I think that, that wraps it up. We're above 15 minutes. Uh, it was a good discussion. Meta, thanks for joining. Next week, Thanks. we have a special episode. So Devin won't be there because we're going to be recording at 9 a.m. Pacific time. And that is prime Devin sleeping time. So uh, he'll be in bed. But we have a special guest as well. We're going to have Amy Madison on. She's the one that wrote the recent like legal and regulatory implications of Web3 games. And so we're going to ask her all about... Um, I was going to say the boring stuff, but it's actually the important stuff. So um, that's going to be fun. Um you know what we might do? We might open up the room to the audience, right? Because this is a time that actual like Americans and Europeans are are awake, right? Today, like this time, less so. Um, so we might have some audience there. Um, if you're interested in that, listener, and, and you want to join, let us know. We can uh, we can arrange that. Good. All right. Any last words, Mitte? Thanks for having me, guys. Um, big supporter. Thanks, and looking forward to listening to future episodes. Where, uh, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Oh, uh, Twitter, the Five Eighter Vader Research, Medium, mm. YouTube, all the good stuff. All, puts out all, good content. All the yeah, Sorry? all the channels yeah. that you put out good content. So definitely worth a follow and a read yeah. and a listen and a watch. So um, go do that. All right, Meta, Devin, Phil. Hope you have a great. For you guys tonight, I'll have a great day. And um, listener, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, feel free to give us five stars or whatever approval mechanism your podcast or YouTube platform of choice 